Hi there, I'm Chloe Veltman. You're listening to Book of the Day. Author Alia Bilal's volume of short stories, Temple Folk, explores the black Muslim experience, specifically from the viewpoint of characters looking back at their time as members of the Nation of Islam. The author's debut collection also couches this complex set of experiences within the larger framework of the spiritual practices of African Americans as a whole. In an interview with NPR's Scott Detrow, Bilal talks about the fact that the few stories told about black Muslims in this country tend to focus on men. Women characters flow through her collection. Here's Scott Detrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Noom. Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox. Discover powerful new series like Three Little Birds and BAFTA-winning drama Time, starring Bella Ramsey, Tamara Lawrence, and Jodie Whittaker. Stream the best of British TV only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. In her debut short story collection, Alia Bilal writes about one particular community in the U.S. The community is a collection of African-Americans who were once upon a time members of the Nation of Islam, though they have moved on to Sunni orthodoxy. And the majority of the stories depict these individuals reflecting back on their times in the Nation of Islam from the perch of, again, Sunni orthodoxy. Temple Folk tells the stories of dozens of Black Muslims over the course of several decades. It tackles issues like freedom, love, and family in a way that Bilal says cuts through the biases many people have about her community. Quite understandably, when you mention the Nation of Islam, many people's first associations are with hate. And it was important for me to understand that that was and I suppose remains a facet of the Nation of Islam and its ideology. Though for the majority of the people that joined this movement, their primary motivations were not about hatred of others. I think that they brought a profound sense of personal need to the Nation of Islam that other organs in the culture were not addressing. And it was just important for me to balance those interests of depicting a lot of the hardships that were endured by the members in the Nation of Islam, a lot of the harsh realities of the Nation of Islam, alongside the sense that people were really deriving a sense of self-worth and meaning out of this movement. I want to talk about a couple stories that that really stood out to me. And, And one of my favorite stories was Candy for Hanif, It centers on a woman named Sister Nora who's raising her son who has special needs. Can you tell us a bit about her and and how she came to you as a character? Sister Nora is someone who came to me reminding me of some of the women that I knew in the days where I was a frequent parishioner of my masjid in Washington, D.C., There were lots of women in that space who worked in the kitchen, and they often were not rewarded adequately for their efforts, cooking food for the Jummah and the Sunday Talim. Their work was essential to the functioning and the joy that people derived from actually going, but I never saw them rewarded for their efforts. 
And I thought that a character like Sister Nora could really encapsulate this feeling of someone who sees herself doing righteous work, helping to feed her community and not being rewarded for it. And how do we bring her to a place where she has to realize that something has to give? You know, I can no longer bear the weight of this. Yeah. And so that's candy for her knee in a nutshell. And and in the story, they are being recognized and rewarded. And that experience kind of leads to this epiphany for her. And and I think... As you talk about that, it, it jumps out to me that even if these women aren't being fully acknowledged for the work they do, they find a community with each other, and all of them have real deep needs for community in their lives. Nora is taking care of her son, and another woman she works with takes care of her husband, and it feels like they're at home in the setting with each other, even if they're not being recognized by the broader community. That's right. I mean... In the few stories that do get told about African-Americans in the United States, African-American Muslims, that is, they tend to feature the experiences of men. And I wanted to take some time to really focus on the realities that African-American women face in our communities. And those realities are sometimes wonderful and sometimes they're just not. And this story really encapsulates that feeling of being in a place where you're not fully appreciated and in your own way, how do you protest? How do you protest the lack of appreciation? Yeah. Another story that I really liked was Janaza. It's about two childhood classmates who reconnect at the funeral of an old teacher. But it's also more broadly about one man coming to terms with his marriage and his life choices and the big differences between his life inside this Muslim community and the life that he made for himself outside of that Muslim community. Can you tell us a bit about what inspired this story? This story was inspired by some of what my family imparted to me about their experiences with abuse as students in the Nation of Islam School, the University of Islam. I wanted to spell out for the reader this complex mix of emotions that comes with acknowledging the ways that these movements harm their followers, but also acknowledging that while there was a negative impact, there was some positive intent. And so we have these two men who are confronting these memories and, you know, sort of going back and forth about the virtues of this man who's died. Mm-hmm. You know, he just has this mixed legacy that the two of them are contending with all these decades later. Yeah. And um, that as a microcosm of what the nation of Islam meant to many people who left the movement. There are lots of people walking around today with scars. And they don't feel they're able to really voice these things lest they appear to be disloyal to this movement that is so meaningful, not just to the current members, but to many sympathetic African-Americans of various religious persuasions. And both of those two stories have a powerful theme of escape in them. Um, Characters wrestling with tension about what they want to do versus what they should do or what they want to do versus the fear of taking that step. And I felt it most powerfully in those two stories, but it's, it's an th- undercurrent of the other stories in this collection as well. What, what draws you to that idea? 
Well, that idea really comes to the thesis behind the book where I'm really asking questions not just of the Black Muslim experience, but wondering how it fits into this larger story of African-American religion. If African-American religion is truly about the project of freedom and advancing freedom in the lives of African-American people, there are ways that each of our religious movements advance the cause of freedom, and there are other ways that they stifle freedom in the lives of individual people. Mm-hmm. And what must those individuals do but move on? And I am showing at various points people coming into an awareness that their place within this particular culture does or does not satisfy their own desire for freedom. And then how do they renegotiate their place within the religion? That's Alia Bilal. Her short story collection is called Temple Folk. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at betterhelp.com NPR to get 10% off your first month. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice. But you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at MassMutual.com. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when... That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR.